Hey, it's Michael, and welcome to another podcast episode. Before I get into today's episode, we wanted to make an offer to you. If you go to Marketing Saves the World, marketingsavestheworld.com or firmsconsulting.com, you will see a pop-up or you'll see a place to add in your email address or you can register on the Firms Consulting website. If you register onto that website, you get put into an exclusive list. And what you get in that exclusive list is samples of the content we have available to FC Insiders. For example, you could get a sample episode of Competitive Strategy with Kevin Coyne. Kevin Coyne is an ex-McKinsey partner, former worldwide head of strategy, and he had served something like over 25 CEOs on a personal level, on a one-to-one basis over his career. Kevin also has a program called How to Become a McKinsey Partner. It's the first time ever a McKinsey partner has gone on record talking about what is actually required to become a partner and you'll find it's very different from what you think is required how to develop deep insights which i have put together one of our most popular programs the electric car startup you will get sample episodes of all of those programs and more if you sign up to this list so that said i hope you enjoy today's episode hi everyone and welcome to another case interviews and management consulting podcast In today's episode, I'm going to answer another reader question, which has been emailed into me with some very interesting details. And we're going to see what advice we can offer this client. And I hope that the reader implements some of the recommendations and comes back to me with an email in a few months or maybe a year to let me know what happened. I would be very keen to see how things transpired and what is the follow up. So basically, I received an email a week ago from a longtime client, subscriber, an insider, and I've seen him posting comments on the website. I've received some emails from him in the past. I'm aware of who he is loosely. I don't know his background too well, but I know he's been a client for a long time and I want to thank him for that. And what's interesting about it is that he's obviously listened to a lot of the shows And therefore, the question that I'm going to receive needs to be seen in the context of why is the person asking this question, knowing that some of the answers are already in the programs? Because that makes it interesting, right? Questions are never asked in a vacuum. And one of the things you have to get comfortable when you analyze anything, whether it's a newspaper article, a report, you've got to ask yourself, why was it done? What does it mean that the report is coming out now? Same with the question. Why is this question coming now? What prompted it? Why is the question being phrased the way it is, even though it's partially or fully addressed in this program? So that's what I think about when I receive a question. So I'm not going to give you all the details of this reader because there's someone in industry and I don't want them to be identified. I'm going to paraphrase certain things here and just pull out the key nuggets. So we have a reader, I'm going to call him Raj, Indian, arrived in the United States on H-1B visa and then went through that very, what I've been told, trying journey of getting a green card over multiple, multiple years of waiting. And he eventually succeeded in getting a green card. Joined in a tech company. Then once he received his green card, he moved to, I think this is an outsourcing company as well. I had to look it up, but they do a lot of things. But another outsourcing company, also Indian outsourcing company, but based in the United States. He's a senior manager. So he runs a customer service team that works for a banking client. And his job is to help them automate some of the functions. And he runs a team in the outsourcing company, his employer, which does most of that work. I didn't really fully understand all of the work he's doing, but I'm guessing based on what I can see uh, that parts of the bank's functions need to be automated. That work is outsourced to this company who does all the automation work. And then they also put some of their own employees from the outsourcing company to manage that part of the bank, working with the banking employees. And this guy, Raj, manages that team of banking employees, outsourcing employees, and managing the software and the systems, which is owned by the bank, but managed and maintained by the outsourcing company. 52 years old, 
two children. He has a wife with a PhD and she's also working. She works for an accounting firm. I'm guessing she's probably in the consulting side. She didn't mention anything about it. But basically the gist of his story is that he feels he's going nowhere. He feels that he came to the United States, worked very hard, did everything that he was supposed to do, finished a master's in engineering in the United States, got an MBA from a very good school, but his life isn't what he thought it would be. And his question to me was, what advice would I have for him? The question is not fully formed because I would rather have received a question which says, what advice would you have for me considering I want to achieve the following? Because I'm going to give you advice relative to what you want to achieve. But I picked this question out of the many, many, many questions I get. And I get a lot of them. For a couple of reasons. He's a long-time reader. It seems sincere because, you know, one of the ways I test sincerity is whether people provide me useful information. You know, if you write to me and you give me no information, you don't tell me where you work, you don't tell me your salary, you don't tell me where you studied, I can't give you any advice because I don't honestly know what your profile is like and what situation you're in. So I need actual details like how many kids, whether you've paid off your loans, whether I need to know those things, right? So I chose to answer this because he's given me enough details. So I think the first thing here is the first thing I want to get out of the way is that I think this guy's maybe a bit too hard on himself. I don't know exactly where he grew up in India, but I'm gathering it wasn't so great for him. He came to the United States by himself, worked hard, senior manager, which is a good position to be in. You know, in our world where I talk about being a senior partner, working with CEOs and you know captains of industry and so on, it's easy to fall into this trap of comparing titles and forgetting how much you've accomplished. I mean, he's provided for his family. His children seem to be doing very well, which, you know, I'm guessing one of the primary reasons he came to the United States is to create a better life for his family. He seems to be in a good relationship with his wife. She's doing fairly well. Middle class to upper middle class. No big problems. No worries. It's just that he's not where he thinks he should be, but he must not ignore all the great things he's accomplished. And I think that's the very important thing whereby with all these comparisons, you know, when people say, oh, Michael, you became a partner when you were in your late 20s. Yes, but, you know, I have my own development areas, things that I'm not so proud about and so on. And I talk about them openly on all of the podcasts. So it's not like I'm hiding anything. But the first thing I want this guy to do is to recognize that you have accomplished a lot. So don't think your life was a total waste and you haven't done much because, you know, with the HB, H-1B visa, you can't do much anyway. You're forced usually to work at a slightly below average salary because you have no negotiating power. You can't explore career options as much because, you know, you need someone who's going to transfer your H-1B visa in the right way and is willing to do that. So given all of those constraints, you're a senior manager at the age of 52 doing important work, but you're not where you want to be, right? And because you haven't told me where you want to be, my gut feel Knowing when the email came through, it's after we did the show about rebooting someone's career. Now, that's available to Insiders where we show you how we helped someone completely transform their career and become promoted rapidly while they were working what they thought was a very mundane, boring part of the business. Now, before I even talk about what you should be doing and what you could be doing, here's a very simple question that I would ask this client. If you've watched the program on rebooting a career for the digital era, because it's all about changing things for the digital era, I'm not going to go through that in detail or at all because you can listen to it as an insider. If you've seen what we've done, we've explained the logic, we've explained the thinking, the strategy, and how you could adapt it. Is it that you don't understand the program, which is fine, maybe key point, you, you know, we didn't explain it very well, or you understand the program and you still can't apply it to you, or you understand the program, you know you can apply it to you, but you're not sure of how to do it, or you, you know how to do it, but you're not sure if this is what you should do. You can see how the question can get more clarified, right? But because they haven't given me the question, I'm going to have to make some educated guesses here, right? So whenever people tell me they're stuck in their career or their career is not going well, or they have been a senior manager for the last 20 years and they see no way out of this, I always do what 
many scientists do. I create a perfect world. And then I start removing elements of the perfect world to say, okay, if I remove this element of the perfect world, is that what is stopping you from being successful? So let's imagine a perfect world. Yeah. This guy comes in, the bank identifies an issue, or the bank doesn't identify an issue. He looks at the data and comes up with something better the bank could do to serve their clients. He goes to his boss and says, you know what, this is something we can do for the client. The boss says, yeah, you know what, makes sense. Throw two people onto it. Let's work on it. They put together maybe some new product the bank could offer their clients. They take it to the bank. The bank says, you know what, that makes sense. Here's a contract. We're willing to pay for it. The product is rolled out within two, maybe one year. Let's keep it realistic within a year. Big success. The bank loves this guy so much to decide to hire him and promoting him and making an EVP or a VP or whatever it is. That's an ideal situation. An ideal situation being you have an open mind, right? Raj has an open mind. He looks at data and he looks at opportunities. He is able to take it to a boss that is either supportive or he's in a position where he doesn't need to take it to the boss, but he has the ability to act on it. He has a good enough team to roll it out and test it. He has a good enough relationship with the client whereby he can take it to the client. The client can then say, you know what? Yeah, makes sense. Let's roll it out. Now, why doesn't Raj do this? Is he in a situation whereby he is told he will be fired if he doesn't show initiative? Is in a situation whereby his boss doesn't back him on anything. So no matter what idea he puts on the table, he gets shut down just because his boss doesn't like him. He doesn't like his name. He just shoots down every idea because it came from Raj. Is in a situation where the client just is not at all interested in ideas that make them more money. Is in a situation where the clients of the bank, the customers, definitely don't want products that make them more, I don't know, happier, stable, wealthier, whatever the product does. So whenever people say they're stuck, I always ask myself, but why are you stuck? I've never been to a company whereby if you take initiative, do things, figure it out, make things happen, they punish you. I mean, there are going to be rare instances whereby you mess with the wrong people and they take it out on you. But in most situations, you can do these things. So my guess is Raj doesn't have any of those obstacles. The most likely situation is that he's 52 years old, 62, it doesn't matter, any age. It's like when you are shopping for a credit card, if you try to shop for a credit card, it is extremely confusing. Let's make it even easier, shopping for insurance. I mean, that industry needs to be disrupted. If anyone in Silicon Valley is listening to this, please disrupt the insurance industry. And the way you should disrupt it is by hiring some good BA students who know how to write English and convert the products into a language, a simple person could understand. And the point I'm making is that if you shop for insurance, it doesn't matter how much research you do. It is completely confusing to you. You have no idea what you are signing up for until the day you have to submit a claim and then you realize that you signed up for the wrong insurance and they're not going to pay you anyway. Now, why do I bring up this analogy? It's because of the situation people find themselves in. I don't think Raj is a dumb guy. I think he's a pretty smart guy. Like He's done a lot. He's created a great future for his family, but he's in a position whereby if you type into anything, you know, how to transform your career, how to change your career. You get this really, what I think are fluffy kind of pieces of advice where people say you must have a goal, you must pursue your goal, you must be productive. They all use the wrong definition of productive, but they all talk about productivity as if they are talking about the right thing. It's like shopping for insurance. You get lots of information written in different languages, which seems contradictory. So you're in a position whereby you actually want to move, but you don't know what to do, right? Because how do you know which one is the right? How do you know which is the insurance product? So when Raj is looking for advice, he just doesn't know what to do. Now, I tell people to keep it simple. A great career comes from doing your job very well. So ask people to do a few things. And this is what I'd recommend Raj to do. Forget about worrying about whether his friend who's 52 is now an executive vice president at Google, is now the head of wealth management at a bank, senior partner at McKinsey. It doesn't matter where you start. You can start it right at the back. It's about where you, you're going, right? 
I watched the show, The British Apprentice, the one with Alan Sugar, and I admire that guy because he makes a point often in the show where he says that it doesn't matter if he loses everything. He knows how to make it back. He'll just buy a van and start trading, make some profit, buy more products, just go through that, keep cycling through it. And the point I'm trying to make here is that it doesn't matter how far you are behind, you just have to start, right? So with Raj, I would recommend that he needs to not take his career and where he is for granted because I feel there's a little bit of name envy here. It doesn't work at McKinsey. It doesn't work at Goldman Sachs. It doesn't work at Morgan Stanley. It doesn't work at BCG. But he does work at a multi-billion dollar corporation with clients that have real problems and a company that has the money to put behind him if he can do big things, right? So the first thing he's got to do is he's got to go in there, not even with a fresh pair of eyes, but to understand that he's got to figure out and he's got to accept that it's not his right to be there. And that's the problem we have with our careers. We think that, well, they hired me, but I deserve this. I'm not going to do more than is required. Look, if you take that mindset to your career, you're always going to fail, or at least be very subpar in your performance. He's going to almost take a clean sheet of paper and say, okay, what is my role here? His role is not to manage a joint team of banking employees and outsourcing employees to manage software that automates key parts of the bank. No, that's a means towards an end. And what is the end? The end is for the bank to be successful, to beat its competitors, to better serve its clients. So what I would do is I would say, okay, this is the activities you do. Then below that, why do you do the activities? Well, you do it to make the bank successful, beat its competitors and better serve clients. And you've got to ask yourself, given the parts of the bank you interact with and given the work you're doing, how can you help the bank be better at serving its clients or beating its competitors. Figure out one thing you can do, just one thing in that first week and roll it out. Once you do it, you do a second thing. Then you do a third thing. That's how success is achieved. Success is not achieved by putting up some big sign saying, oh my God, I am going to roll out a product that makes a bank $2 million of profit per annum. If the goal is that big, it's going to require too many resources, too much convincing, and too much of a distraction from your day job to ever matter, and it will never get done. But if you start with these simple things, it's just snowballs and snowballs and snowballs and snowballs. Now, I always think to myself, there's a very fine line between people that fail and people that succeed. And the fine line is this. The person who succeeds decides and remembers to do just a few simple things. And the person who fails or is subpar either forgets or chooses not to do some simple things. I mean, I take a classic example of this. Let's assume you like going to pubs, right? And you have a little bit too much to drink the night before and it affects your work the next morning so you can't do your best. The difference between the person who's going to stay on the ball and get the job done and the person who succumbs to his desire for alcohol is just making that decision that, you know what, maybe today I wouldn't do it. And that's how success is, the very small little steps. You know, there's a program we have coming out soon called the Master Plan Program, where I talk about how the hell we're able to pursue a car company, a cosmetics business, build out a luxury brands company and so on. And I'll talk about this more in that show for insiders, but it's not a lot of big things we do. We do a lot of little things relentlessly all the time. And when you add them up, they stack up. But if you look at them one by one, they don't look that impressive. But when you stack them up, you see the results. So that would be my advice for Raj. You know, go back to your job and not take it for granted as a starting point. And two, ask yourself who's holding you back, who's stopping you from doing all these great things you want to do. Now, if you say, well, I don't know how to do it, well, you can learn just about everything you need to learn from our website. That's what most people do. In fact, I got an email today about from a client who is using the startup program to build an incubator for his national government. I mean, I never thought people were doing that. I thought they were using the show to start their own businesses, but he's using the startup program to build an incubator that's putting 15 or something companies through this entire process to build a business. 
this. So you can do these things, but I think part of the problem you face is that you feel that the company where you work is not worthy of getting your best work. So you're almost saying, I can do more, but I want to go to a place that deserves to have me and then I'll do my best work. And life doesn't work that way. You first have to prove yourself where you are and then you move on. But realistically, this is the big stumbling block you face. You need to understand where your work is worthy and they deserve your best work. And you give them your best work. And all magical things happen after that, which you cannot even predict. It may happen at the company, you may get headhunted, it doesn't matter. But you have to work with what you have, not what you wish you had. And you know, people listening to this may be working at some horrible places. I've had clients writing in work in a supermarket. I mean, I remember once we had a client who worked in a mining community in Russia. You have to work with what you have, not wait for the best playing field to arrive and then give it your best. It doesn't work that way. You're not going to get to that great playing field because they don't hire people who are not giving their best already. As always, if you have any comments or questions, please feel free to write in. And I hope that the reader who sent this question in will respond in a few months to let me know what happened. And that's it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed doing the episode. Finally, I want you to remember that the only way to get access to our special offers, the only way to get our special pricing, and the only way to get samples of our insider content is to join the list on marketingsavestheworld.com or firmsconsulting.com. Just remember that Bill Madisoni's memoir and documentary, the 20-episode documentary, and his memoir is going to be released worldwide soon. As far as we know, it is extremely rare for a former McKinsey and BCG partner to publish the memoir. The special pricing that we will offer will only be offered for a limited time. It will be only offered to people who subscribe to that email list. It's the only way also to get access to our unique advanced content that we make available to insiders. So if you want to get a sneak peek of things, test it out, see what's in there, this is the place to go. And finally, I want to thank you again for making us one of the largest podcast channels around the world for careers and for the 2 million downloads and counting.